The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year, or to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of the many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines, but you shall be called the priest of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words that are both within and without, may we turn to you, the unchanging word of God, and be opened to your word born anew in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the favorite, my favorite pictures I have of my youngest two sons is from one of the first games they played together uh, at the, uh, for Haverford at the varsity lacrosse team in high school. Um, Peter was a freshman and John was a junior. They would go on and win a state championship that year uh, to a lot of people's surprise. But this was a game, they, one of the first games they played together as high school students. And there's like pure joy on their face. I can remember it was down in Virginia and they're holding their equipment on their shoulders. My back is to the camera and they both have big smiles on their face. And you can see my youngest is talking. And I remember precisely what he was saying. They were on the field together at the same time. And uh, they were playing a very good nationally ranked team. And they cornered their best, the best offensive player on the other team. Okay? And one of the boys stripped him while the other boy knocked him over, checked him. And while he was on the ground, my youngest said to him, you just got bored. So they were telling me that with, with great joy. But 
that was about 17 years ago. But I, I got a new picture this week of the two of them that I think is probably even more of a favorite now. And they are side by side again, just like they were 17 years ago. But each of them are holding their baby boys. Yeah, uh, Peter had a little boy in August and, and John had a, a little boy um, December 1. Well, actually, their wives had the babies, but they were, yeah. But, <clears throat> you know, joy is an amazing thing. It's such a gift. And there have been so many bad things happening in the world. And, and it's really important that our Christmas joy is, is not ignoring those things. Right? Whether it's the horrible things that are happening in the world or maybe the horrible things that happen in our world. Or maybe the tough things happening in your world. As Christians, we hold both things together. We look squarely, if you would, at the tragedies of this world. We don't turn our head away from the suffering of others. It's important that we also don't become simplistic about complicated things. I've talked a lot about that recently. It's also important, as I wrote about this week in the blog, you know, joy and the hard things of God are side by side in this passage. But one of the miracles of joy is that you can have joy in the midst of sorrow. You don't have happiness in sorrowful things, but you can have joy. Because as C.S. Lewis observed, joy is the serious business of heaven. Christian Wyman, I think, is one of the best living poets in America. Uh, he's been living with cancer for the last 17 to 20 years. He has a, has a new book out that uh, I think uh, we're going to be reading together in the first part of next year. Um, and it's really about dealing with despair. Because he got a terminal diagnosis a year after he had fallen in love and uh, with the love of his life. And he got a terminal diagnosis right as he had rediscovered the faith that he had long ago given up. And so he's lived with, over the last 20 years with a rare form of cancer. He's almost died multiple times. And so this week he was, uh, there was a great article in the New Yorker about him last week. Uh, Fresh Air, Terry Gross interviewed him this week as well. And so it's always, I always find it interesting when Terry Gross is interviewing religious people because you can tell she, she struggles with it. But so this is from the interview. This is from the transcript from this week's interview. So Terry Gross, why turn to religion and not say, for instance, philosophy? What did religion, what did faith give you that you felt nothing else could? And Christian Wyman replied, oh, a living God. I mean, as philosophy, there's nothing that loves you back. I am moved by my, probably my deepest settled belief is in the unity of existence, that things are, that there's some fundamental unity in all things, and we are part of that. And our deepest experiences of joy or of love or suffering, there is something, there's a sense sometimes that something, some reality is looking back at us. He actually thinks that's what poetry is in part. It's a reciprocal thing. But the reason he turned 
to religion, he says, is because there was a God that could love me back. All joy is never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still to be. It's another C.S. Lewis quote. All joy reminds it is never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. That's why happiness often has to do with pleasure, right? You know, we do something that gives us pleasure we pursue pleasure, or whatever that might be, to, to, find, to be happy. For instance, I watched the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday in pursuit of pleasure and did not get any from it. <laughs> Quite the contrary. All right. But joy, joy gets us by surprise. Because even when we experience joy in that present moment, it's always pointing to something that's not quite there. Something from the past, something that is about to become. Both our passages today reflect Lewis's idea about joy pointing to a divine reality that is yet to be fully realized. Mary's radical prayer. It's pretty remarkable the words Luke puts in Mary's mouth there. Is a radical hope of a joy that's going to be accomplished to an occupied people, to a people under the brutal repression of the Romans, for a people who have been listening and waiting for the silence of God to be broken. And Mary announces that coming and the soon-to-be birth of her child. Isaiah 61, we read a passage a number of weeks ago that was pretty pessimistic, but the same writer, the same preacher, the same poet, because Isaiah 61 is beautiful Hebrew poetry, says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Mary quotes this in her passage. To bring good news to the poor, he sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of revenge of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn. This passage was for the exiles, right? And they had come back, and it wasn't what they expected. Yet, this preacher, this poet is reminding them, but we, we're here, we're free. We're not strangers in a strange land anymore. And there's a, a sense where this passage is meant to be taken both literally and spiritually. Remember, Jesus preached this sermon um, that almost got him killed. All right? The first sermon he preaches in synagogue almost gets him killed. That's the only thing I've ever been more successful than in Jesus. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I preached here, you guys gave me a job. The Savior of the world preaches and they almost kill him, right? So, anyway, so you, I always say, you don't, don't, uh, don't believe too much in those who like you, right? Because you never know what that means. But, but from a literal perspective, you know, we are called to, to preach good news to the poor. And not just give them good news, but help bring good news for them, right? Okay, it's not just, hey, good news, God loves you, hope that all works out. <laughs> no. As Christians, we need to be infinitely or infinitely involved in making finite changes for the better of those who are in need. 
Bind the brokenhearted. Rather than look away from the pain of other people, we need to be in the midst of it. And that's hard. It's hard. We want to look away. But as people of God, we, we stand with the brokenhearted. Liberty to the captives and open the prisons. You know, people can be captive to a lot of things, right? We can be captive to bad habits. We can be prisoners of our own guilt, our own bitterness. How many people are imprisoned by their own prejudices? And the good news of Jesus is liberty. You don't have to be in bondage to that habit. You don't have to hold on to your bitterness or your prejudice. You can let go of that shame and to comfort those who mourn. The theologian Moltmann, Jürgen Moltmann one time said that compassion is the other side of joy. So the gift that God gives us of the joy of knowing God must always translate into concrete acts of compassion. But there's a spiritual dimension to this too, as well. Where are you poor in spirit? What's impoverished within you? The good news is that God can fill that hole. What is broken inside of you? Where is your heart broken? Well, the pierced heart of Christ is there to help mend that broken heart. What are you in prison to? What things can you not let go? God is here to give us freedom in that as well. You know, one of the powerful things uh, that Christian Wyman goes on to talk about in this interview is he says this, Simone Weil, who was a wonderful French philosopher, said that if there was no resurrection, that would be enough for her. The story of Jesus dying on the cross, suffering with us, of making suffering have a meaning then, of having a shared experience, that would be enough for her. And the whole point is we do believe in the resurrection, but the point is that the God became one of us and suffered with us means that we're not alone in our poverty. We're not alone, whether it be spiritual or physical. We're not alone in our brokenheartedness. Because God suffered in Jesus, no one suffers alone. No one dies alone. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's a strange verse. Because a cross is horrific, but one of the worst ways humans ever devised of killing someone else. But for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross. Like Mary going through childbirth. Like my daughter-in-laws who just gave birth. The sacrifice was worth the joy. 
You've heard me probably, you may remember this, I'm sure I've talked about Colleen before. Colleen um, was like a daughter to me. Um, she was in my youth group years ago in a church in South Jersey. I, I joked we had her come babysit and she never left uh, our house. And she had a very difficult life. I won't go into the gory details. But she lost her mother when she was six. Um, her father was a violent and vile drunkard. And uh, she suffered greatly. Um, and um, she had been diagnosed with cancer when she was 30. It's what killed her mom. And uh, I was with her when her, she was having her last chemo. And she went into remission after this set of chemo. And as I'm sitting there with her and we're talking, I, I reminded her of about 10 years earlier she and I sat in a medical room together. And as a 20, young 20-year-old, 20 21-year-old, she tried to kill herself. And um, I, she called me to say goodbye, and I called the police to kick the door down and pump her stomach. So somewhere in the middle of New Jersey, I still don't remember, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm in this medical unit, psychiatric ward with her. And she looked over at me, and she said, you can't stop me from killing myself. And I said, no, I can't. And then I said, here you are 10 years later, fighting for your life. She looked at me and she kind of laughed. She said, this should be a poem. And she smiled. Now there was joy there that day. And that joy did not take away from the other horror of the 20 years prior or all the other <laughs> horrific Colleen days I had. And she had worse days than I had with her, right? The cancer came back a couple years later and I was with her right before she died. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said it was worth fighting for. Now, that's a horribly sad story. And it's a wonderfully joyful story. Did that story have a sad ending or a joyful ending or, or both? I have told you this story before. When she was first diagnosed with cancer, she called me and she said, well, you'll be happy. I believe in God again. <laughs> I go... Okay, I go, well, that's good. She go, I go, why? She goes, I have to have somebody to be angry at. Right? But see, that's, that's so much bigger, right? That's, that's the mystery of what it means to know God in this world. And that's the joy, the crucified joy of a baby born to die. That's a joy we can have in the midst of a world so violent and sad and tragic. But that's the joy that gives us hope. And that's the joy that can give us peace. And that's the joy that believes in a God who transcends all these things. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand with me and
Say with me a collect for Advent. Together. O wisdom, Lord and ruler, root of Jesse, key of David, rising sun, king of the nations, Emmanuel, come Lord Jesus. You may be seated. And together, I invite you to continue our worship by giving to God our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings.